Hi, today's message is called The Secret to Peace, Joy, and Contentment. Or section a robber called discontent. Today we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul the secret to peace, joy, and contentment. It's easy to be anxious even about simple things like what we will eat or wear. Is it going to rain today? Should I wear a coat? It's easy to become disgruntled and lose our joy when things don't go our way. Someone said most people go around looking for an excuse to become offended. Such excuses abound if you're looking for them. Somebody says something unkind or unthoughtful. Someone forgets to include you. Somebody has a different point of view than you and is so sure they're absolutely right. It's easy to not be contented. In fact, the number one aim of the multi-billion dollar advertising industry is, seems to be to get you to be discontented. If you only buy our product, you will have it made. That's the number of people in our culture at large that come across as absolutely full of peace, joy, and contentment seems small. Puritan preacher Jeremiah Burroughs observed, what a foolish thing is this, that because I have not got what I want, I will not enjoy the comfort of what I have. There's a great deal of folly in a discontented heart. American founder Benjamin Franklin noted, Con content makes poor men rich. Discontent makes rich men poor. So you can see that lack of contentment is a robber, a thief, stealing our satisfaction in life. A week ago, Friday, July 17th, saw the death of one of the greatest evangelical writers of the latter 20th century, Canadian-English theologian J.I. Packer, former prof at Regent College in Vancouver and editor of Christianity Today. His book, Knowing God, is a classic and well worth reading. On this subject of contentment, Packer pointed out how deadly envy can be, wanting what others have. J.I. Packer said, quote, Envy is one of the most cancerous and soul-destroying vices there is. It is terribly potent, for it feeds and is fed by pride, the taproot of our fallen nature. Billy Graham noted, Envy can ruin reputation, split churches, and cause murders. Envy can shrink our circle of friends, ruin our business, and dwarf our souls. I've seen hundreds cursed by it. There's an old Greek legend in which an athlete ran well but just came in second in the race. The winner received praise and eventually a statue was erected in his honor. Well, this was just too much for the athlete who placed second. Envy ate away inside. He resented the winner and could think of little else. Eventually he decided to destroy the statue of the winner. Night after night, he went to the statue under cover of darkness, chiseling away at the base to weaken the foundation. One night, as he chiseled in violent anger, he carelessly went too far. The heavy marble statue teetered on its base and crashed down on the disgruntled athlete. He died beneath the weight of the marble replica of the man he'd grown to hate. His own envy had destroyed him. In Philippians 4, we find godly wisdom from the Apostle Paul to fight envy and discontent. There is a secret to peace, joy, and contentment. The secret involves five things. Conscious connection, concerted concentration, copying the Christ-like, caring community, and the Creator's capacity. First, conscious connection. 
Are you starting to get used to wearing a mask? Yeah? Do you find yourself looking at people a little harder because you're not quite sure who they are? In the grocery store, it seems that way. People have to really look at the parts of your face they can see trying to decide if you're, if you're somebody that they should know. In a smaller rural community, one of the nice aspects is that we start to recognize people by the vehicle they drive. In fact, sometimes we wave at them and are surprised when we find out it's actually their spouse or another family member driving. But generally, over time and repeated viewings, we become identified with our vehicle. When you read Paul's letters, there's a little phrase that pops up again and again, almost like his trademark of sorts, in Christ. It seems hard to catch this author ever really thinking of himself apart from his relationship to Jesus. Sort of like around here, you always see so-and-so driving around in their Explorer or Brown Ford pickup or hanged up Mazda. Yes, I will get that finger fix. Or what they affectionately call their rat or what have you. When you see them, you expect to see them in their vehicle. When we read Paul, we expect to hear him talk about being in Christ. For him, it's a conscious connection. He's always identifying himself as being along with his Savior. Acts 3, 1, Paul wrote, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He echoes this in 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Did you notice that little phrase? Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, verse 7. Uh, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. He doesn't just rejoice greatly, but it's rejoice greatly in the Lord. He's always moving about in his vehicle, the vehicle being Jesus. It's difficult to find Paul not talking about being in Christ. In the next verse, we're to let our gentleness, our considerateness, being fair and mild, what Matthew Arnold calls sweet reasonableness. We're to let our gentleness be evident to all. In what context? Next phrase, the Lord is near. Yes, he's coming back soon. The New Testament authors can speak of the judge standing at the door. James 5.8 says, You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. But can Paul also mean the Lord is near, or the Lord is at hand in the sense of his Holy Spirit being right close by? monitoring us, protecting us, ready to step in and give a helping hand. If we make a practice of consciously keeping aware of the Lord's presence in every situation, would that not predispose us to be more joyful, more forbearing of others, more considerate, more gentle, recalling it's not up to us to set the record straight all the time? That was verse 6. Propose a remedy for anxiety. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't let it fester and become worry fodder, turning it over and over endlessly in your own mind. Present it to God. Lay it all out before Him. The verb tense is present imperative. Stop being anxious. That's verse 7 promise. It says, 
and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The image is that of a military guard keeping us safe, sort of a protective custody. But to obtain this peace, we have to turn things over to God's sovereign control. Be ready to leave it in his hands. If you are, in fact, in Christ, entrust the matter to him. Romans 8, 6 promises, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Can you let go and let God's Spirit be in control? This is not an excuse to be irresponsible in the range of areas we're given to manage, but for what's beyond our power to address. Give it over to God rather than let it feed your anxiety. Colossians 3.15 let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. This peace that rules is like an umpire calling the shots in the game. Are we prepared to respect the Lord's sovereignty in this? Keep conscious of that connection. It may seem a tall order to rejoice always, as Paul says, but remember he's writing this from lockup himself under house arrest in Rome awaiting trial before the mighty emperor Caesar, which could result in death for him. Not what you call prime conditions for rejoicing. He told his followers to rejoice and be glad when they're persecuted, because great is your reward in heaven. We see Peter and John doing this in Acts 5.41. As the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the need. See, it's their conscious identification of Jesus, the name, that turns the awfulness around. Section, concerted concentration. The second secret to having peace and contentment is concerted concentration. In verse 8, Paul lists several categories that can shape our thought life. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Consider these as a grid or a filter to help determine what you're going to allow into your thought life. Jesus is Lord of all to you. Is this show I'm about to watch true and commendable and pure or a bit off color? Is this project I'm about to devote some resources to right and just and admirable? Or is it undercutting someone else for my own benefit? Is that link I'm about to click on excellent and praiseworthy? Or exploiting others, even indirectly, for catering to baser appetites that will leave me feeling ashamed? Did my comment on what that politician did actually edify or build anyone up? Or was I just jumping on a popular bandwagon, throwing them under the bus so I can pat myself on the back for not failing in that particular very public sense? We're not to let the world squeeze us into its mold when it comes to our thought life, the categories we give our attention to. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
concentrate on the virtues that please your master. Section, copy the Christ one. You may remember that back in 317, Paul rather boldly urged the church at Philippi to imitate the good things they had seen in him. 317. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Paul was very conscious of trying to set a good example. He didn't want to do anything that might weigh on his conscience. He could say in court before the Roman governor Felix, Acts 24, 16, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Can you say that? Can I? If we want to be able to urge someone to follow our example, we need to be acting according to our conscience. The one aspect of peace, joy, and contentment is copying the Christ love. They've given you a pattern, set an example. All you have to do is do likewise. They did it, so can you. Who in your life would you say would say is your mentor? Who are you allowing to disciple you, correct you, polish your rough edges? The New Testament authors do emphasize faith in Jesus a lot. They also emphasize obedience, putting our faith into practice. James 2, 17 and 26. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. If the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Jesus emphasized it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, that enter the kingdom, but those who do the Father's will. We're not to merely listen to the word, according to James 1.22, but do what it says. For another church, the one in Thessalonica, Paul could warn them against idleness by saying, 2 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. We can copy those who are Christ. Next section, caring community. The letter to the Philippians is in some ways a missionary's thank you letter to their supporters back home. So another factor in Paul's peace and contentment is this caring community. Verses 10 to 18, he writes about how they have renewed their concern for him. From the very first, when Paul set out from the region of Macedonia, they sent him aid again and again when I was in need, verse 16. Paul acknowledges their latest gift as a man named Aphroditus, searched him out all the way in Rome, under house arrest, and made good on delivering the funds they had sent for Paul, 4.18 says, I received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul didn't operate in a vacuum. He was part of a community, spending time investing in lives and location for months or years. Then when he moved on to another mission field, he kept in touch by writing letters back to previous churches. In the Philippians uh, sent financial aid in order to support him. It's not that Paul was totally dependent on it. He did practice his tent making, trading, working long hours into the night to support himself. But when churches sent gifts, it freed him up to be able to devote more time to teaching and leading. 
verses 12 and 13 really get at the heart of this matter of learning to be content. Verse 12 says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You sense a build-up here, coming to a climax? Okay, Paul, tell us your secret. Out with it. What is the secret of being content in every situation? Here comes verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There's that connectedness bit again. Through him, in Christ, in other words, who gives me strength. Paul knows a tangible connection, a supply line to Jesus. This sustains him whether he has food or not, whether he is ample or living. It's not about the material stuff. It's about the spiritual relationship he has, his walk day by day with the Lord, knowing Jesus' presence in his love. So we could say in 1 Timothy 6.6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Fanny Crosby was a great writer of gospel songs that have inspired many. Did you know that Fanny herself was blinded when only six weeks old by a country doctor who thought he was treating her with eye drops? Yet her indomitable attitude soon became evident. Just eight years of age, she wrote this little poem. Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. And you make that same resolution to be content. Along with godliness, Paul defines that as great gain. Next, creator's capacity. To review, we've seen the secret to peace, joy, and contentment involves conscious connection with Jesus, concerted concentration on what's true and noble and right and pure and so on, copying Christ-like, following another saint's example, and caring community, accepting support from others moved to contribute to our needs. The fifth and final element is our Creator's capacity. Never forget that we serve a great God, one who works miracles, who has all the resources of the universe at his disposal. Paul is very appreciative of this, supporting church's help over and over again, sending gifts that help move his ministry forward. And he reminds them they can't outgive God, as they have been contributing to kingdom purposes, God will refurbish their reserves so that they can keep on giving. 419. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a verse. Such a great promise. The Living Translation puts it. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. We're on board with God's program. He wants to get behind that and channel more resources through for his purposes, his glory. Paul bursts spontaneously into a doxology in the next verse, as if he can't help himself. He's carried along by the magnificence of the way God works in the vast greatness and mysterious power. Jesus expressed something along the same lines when he said in Luke 12, 31, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Is our direction, our focus, right? 
kingdom aids are the tracks down which the locomotive of God's resources move. To the church at Corinth, Paul said something similar, 2 Corinthians 9 And God is able to make all grace abound in you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. His grace abounds. We will abound, but not in our selfish appetites. Abound in every good work. Think also of Proverbs 3, 9, 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will be brim over with new wine. It starts with honoring God. Robertson comments, God has an abundant treasure in glory and will repay the Philippians for what they have done before. Last section, given strength for the path. Paul's connection with the Lord was the deep, deep reservoir from which all his ministry poured forth was resourced. He could affirm this phenomenal truth in Philippians 4.13, verse, so worth memorizing. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Say it again. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. When we feel the truth of that, him giving us strength, we can rest content no matter what the future may bring. Paul Krauss was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. He played 16 years and had 81 career interceptions as a safety with the Minnesota Vikings. However, his greatest challenge in life did not occur on a football field, but in his response to the automobile accident, his wife of 35 years suffered on October 5, 1995. Pam Krauss was in a coma for five years after suffering a brain stem injury and several broken bones on the left side of her body, including facial bones, ribs, pelvis, and vertebrae. Former Vikings teammate Wally Holdenberg recently said, I've gained so much more respect and admiration for Paul over the past two years for what Paul has done as a husband, father, and provider for Pam. He has proven himself a true Hall of Famer based on how he has handled it. What's the secret, you might ask? Crows credits his strength to his faith in God. He says, when the doctors tell you that they do not know if she will live, that is not giving you any hope. But I never thought she would die. That is my belief in God, hoping that he would give me strength through all of it. Give me strength through all of it. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to be able to rejoice in you always, even through accidents, even through persecution, even through pandemics and all the tests life brings our way. Thank you that through faith we can be in Christ, in your Son, tapping into the supply of your infinite resources and receiving your mighty strength. Equip us, Lord, to be able to share with others, like the Philippians said, aid to Paul again and again. So may we experience your favor and become channels of your blessing to the world, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.